week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 441. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Guess what? On a very spooky edition of the show this week, I'm going to slay a zombie arch server with an Open Media Vault axe. I'll tell you about the emergency server swap out I had to do and how Open Media Vault had to replace and why it had to replace a home A failing arch box. Yes, Noah. Yes, you don't have to rub it in, Noah. I'm already giving myself a hard time about it. But we'll tell you more about that later. Then in the news, we're going to talk about the Dirty Cow update and also some positive, potentially positive developments, I guess, with the whole Cody Pirate box story, as well as some massive updates coming to Firefox in 2017 and more. Then we got some great feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got right here at the top we of the show? We got the picks. You got it. I don't even know how you knew that. You you're so Me either, because I didn't have the dock up. I had pictures up instead. You're so it's good at that. It's like you've done it a couple of times or something. I don't know. I've been having lately visions about upgrading Jupiter Broadcasting's video resolution. In fact, it was even a topic in the subreddit uh, this weekend. Dreams of 4K or 1080p, 60 frames per second. No particular reason other than just trying to meet that high-quality bar. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. No, it's crazy because it adds a whole new level of complexity yeah, and, that's and, great. and stress to, yeah. to, to remote broadcasting. Yeah, especially after the troubles I had this morning before we got on the air. That's why when Noah found this 21,000 frames per second Kronos high-speed camera that runs Linux... This had to be the pick of the week. This is our Runs Linux. And have the trigger right on your lap and press the trigger. Now, the camera is essentially a Linux-based computer, and the boot-up time is approximately 30 seconds. I like this music. And I'll show you this in real time. Super just so intense. You know just how long it actually probably boots up. Probably get us pulled down. Eventually, it'll probably have a fancy splash screen there. That <laughs> So this is a prototype, by the way. <laughs> so that dude's face is not going to be the shipping product. <laughs> no, it could be. It could be. <laughs> it's not bad. It's very personal. Firmware can be updated through the menu system. Okay, comes. the boot up is complete. Once there we you go. see that screen, and it's ready to go. And it's a full-touch uh, interface powered by Linux, of course, and it, re- it records to a Linux box and all of that. That's pretty nice and if you uh if i if i back it up a little bit and you t- you get another visual of it it's totally a huge lens attached to a tiny computer with ethernet on the side uh what else is, i mean it has a hdmi out take a look at this thing D- uh, display Looks port like out hdmi simpty on the bottom sdi above the ethernet yeah is that okay is that audio it might be audio in and out right there yeah and then, uh, okay. and then some other connector that i'm not familiar with what that is at the very Actually, bottom the bottom's not simpty that is uh, that's power i bet Oh, that could be. Or I was thinking maybe the, the far left one is power, but yeah. Either way, Ethernet on my camera. Yes, please. Yes. Yes, please. That sounds amazing. And that's what you get when Linux powers a camera. You know, I did have a double runs Linux. Surprise flash double runs Linux last minute submission by at. <laughs> I think there was a pizza catastrophe in the kitchen right at the beginning of the show. I think there was some sort of pizza catastrophe. Uh, did you good. hear that? Did you hear that? It was crazy. I did, but thank you for drawing attention and like totally. Do you want me to go check show? on it? I could go check on it, or do you think oh, we should? Yeah. Should we keep doing <laughs> yeah, that? Okay. I think, I think maybe we should go ahead and do the show. We could check okay. on it afterwards. I mean, it could be there could maybe be that's... deliciousness all over the floor. Anyway, I'm okay. There might be. Oh, okay, she's good. She's okay. <laughs> okay, thanks, honey. Uh, all right. So at Bitten tweeted this right as we were setting up for the show. This is an unbelievable story. What the f he says? I found a working Dell laptop with Ubuntu already installed on it in the trash. From the room I'm in. 
how about that? He says, uh, it's from 2012. People here, huh? And he didn't bother trying to like pull porn off it. He just he's already installing Ubuntu Mate on it. <laughs> I thought but he said he found it with Linux, though, right? Yeah, yeah, with Ubuntu nice. preloaded on it in the trash can. <laughs> like that's somebody's like, I am done with this piece of junk, and they're throwing it in the trash can. Oh man, that's it. I can't handle it anymore. In Microsoft Office. Have you ever done that? Have you ever? Have oh, you ever well, thrown oh, a computer oh, oh, out? This week. Okay, this week I was I was I, I walked out. I, I literally I got so mad at a particular situation really? I walked out and dumped it up on somebody else. Yeah, it was it was terrible. Good for you. Good for you. I, I don't I don't often get to do that, but I tell you this no, I, I I did. I mean there's other people making fun of me because I only tried for like about a minute and a half and then I was like, screw it, I'm leaving. I'm this, not doing this. This morning Caroline. I sat down at this Linux box right here in front of me and uh, I start to play some audio and I don't have any sound. I'm like, what? Where's my sound? Because nothing's changed since Thursday, right? Uh, yeah, nobody's just used bought this, a new sound interface, and nobody's used this computer since me. So I'm like, what's what's going on? So and I look, and oh yeah, my sound interfaces have changed back to the wrong default uh, settings. I'm like, well, I should go change that. So I go change it back to my right to the, to the correct USB sound out, and uh, I hit play again, and I'm looking at my levels, and I got my headphones on. I don't hear anything. Like, what is going on? So I got the audio fixed here, right? I'm looking at this. I'm, like, opening up other applications, seeing if they can make sound. I got Puva Control up. I'm, I'm looking at everything, and everything shows like it's working just, just right. And then I look over at the mixer, and I realize that my mixer is locked up. I had two separate issues where my mixer had locked up, and the audio had switched to the default uh, sound out. And so I, I'm, I'm, like, double audio screwed over this morning. I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't know what's going on here. I just want to go take, like, a little portable microphone and do the show because this is ridiculous. <laughs> but otherwise. Set up my webcam. And then. But on my USB Logitech headset. And then the Linux box that you're on right here, the one that captures your, your video, your mug. One's uh, working flawlessly. It, it, audio worked fine, but it stopped seeing the video interface, the capture device. Don't worry. Don't worry. So it has been it has been a morning of technical issues. This is one of those times when you turn to the computer and you're like, "You had one job." <laughs> you know, like I mean, seriously, like it has one thing to do. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I know. It's like, come on, come on. And you know, Noah, the only systems I seem to have these days that are working without issue are my droplets over digitalocean.com. And if you use the promo code, here's the thing: you'll get a ten dollar credit. Guess what? Ten bucks is ten bucks. Now this is why I say ten bucks is ten bucks because you probably knew that, but you didn't know the DigitalOcean's five dollars a month, or you can pay hourly. You can get a really nice rig for three cents an hour. DigitalOcean has these droplets. And you're like, what? Chris, what the hef is a dang droplet? Oh, I'll tell you what a droplet is. They got these droplets, you guys. You can deploy an SSD cloud server in seconds, in less than 55 seconds via their intuitive control panel or their flexible API. That's what a droplet is. And then you can attach block storage as you need it. They got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. Hey, uh, Noah, India, are you always deploying in... Where do you always deploy your droplets? India? What are you doing? Yeah, no, I, I usually use Seattle. Or, the, well, not Seattle. Uh, um, California. West Coast, West Coast, West Coast, California. California. Yeah. Man, Seattle would be so to, cool. So, so I have done, I've done the East Coast, uh, New York, and I've done uh, uh, California. And both of those, it, having compared both of those, the West side always seems to work better. That's number one. Number two is a lot of times the ones that I actually, it, it wouldn't really matter which data center because they all work pretty well, except for when we're doing production stuff, then they have to be in the West Coast. So I just kind of put everything in the West Coast. That makes sense. That I, actually, everything goes down, I know because all the servers crash at one time. It's funny. I have uh, two servers of my own personal servers that I run on the East Coast just to have it physically separated from me. And uh, uh, so I have servers over there, so that way if Seattle fell into the ocean someday, or California, 
uh, I have all that, I have all that in a whole other location. And what's really nice about that is they have really good networking. Like in the East Coast Data Center, I have private networking set up, which is such a sweet feature because you can have your two different droplets talking to each other on their own private network, not taking any of your transfer. It's a great way to do backups or do like a, a system that forwards to a backend box. 40 gigabit e connections coming into the. Uh, 40 gigabit connections come into the hypervisor, which means you're going to have super great speed, and you can deploy entire application stacks, either from uh, like uh, the entire like from WordPress all the way down to an Ubuntu LTS, or just the bare system, and you build it yourself. And with team support, you can have a couple of people or an entire group of people working and it, with you. And if you ever get into the point of needing to to sort of poke at their API, I think you'll be really impressed with how well they've documented, how clear it is, and how many great things are already written. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, here's the thing, and take advantage of their all SSD-backed droplets. They run super fast on great servers, running KVM on top of Linux boxes, with a brilliant way to support the show built in by using that promo code. Gets you $10 and supports the Linux Action Show. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code, here's the thing, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. I see you hacking and coughing over there with the mute switch. You're doing a good job. Yeah. You're doing really. I, I thought so. I thought so. Nobody will know that I was. I'm sick. Nobody today. will ever so, know. You, you know how much I love Telegram, I, right? Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up because this is exactly what I was going to call you out for. I was okay. so going to so call you out for this. I, I, I am a Telegram fanboy. In fact, I don't even respond to people if they don't send me. If they can't be bothered to send me a message on Telegram, then screw you and your 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 caveman not communication type. It's just absolutely ridiculous to me. You might as well use a Morse code. And then this week, I get uh, uh, Ham Radio, I think was the first one to send it to me, sent me a, 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 a link and he goes, check out this communication software. What? Not Telegram, don't care. Somebody else sends it to me. Hey, check out this open source communication software. It's encrypted, not Telegram, don't care. And then like four other people send it to me and then we see it in the feedback. And, and about, I don't know when it was, I think Wednesday or Thursday, I just messaged Chris and I'm like, I got the app pick this week. I got the app pick <laughs> yeah, this week. Yeah. Wire.com is an open source encrypted chat video voice communication system that's open again open source on both ends the server and the client if you remember telegram the client is open source but the, the back end is not only encrypted or is not only closed source but the encryption is secret they don't tell you wh- what encryption method and how how all of that's working so you're basically you're trusting them that they have done a good job making it secure telegram this, is plot by russians right who are trying to influence the russians election. who want to influence the election yeah, I, that's all. Yeah. They, that's all the rush. That's as close as I get. Yeah, I, I, so, there's no way you're switching though. I mean, you can sit there and, and slam Telegram all you want, but you're not switching a wire. I don't know. Here, so here, I would switch overnight if one thing weren't true, and that is that I've just spent the last two years converting everyone from SMS and Google Hangouts and mm-hmm. Yahoo Messenger and AIM and MSN and everything under God's green earth over to Telegram. If I go back to those people and I'm like, okay, guys, new system. <laughs> It's just never going to work. But if uh, if this starts to pick up more adoption and more and more people are on it, they have apps for Android, they have apps for iOS, they have a desktop app, they have a, a Mac app, a Windows app, and that's the other thing I'll be watching is do these people, do they consistently upgrade their desktop app? Because Telegram, the Linux desktop app, is a first-class app just like all of the other operating systems. Yeah. Windows and Mac get updates, Linux gets an update. If that holds true with with this and it's not some stupid you know web wrapper thing it's actually a native application like telegram is 
I don't know. It hmm. could have some potential. I'll tell but you, I definitely I like, have my eye on it. I tell you one big difference between this and Telegram that I like a lot is uh, no phone number required to set up an account, which exactly. means I can have it on multiple devices, which would be really nice. What, like, a, what an outdated concept. Yeah, it's how they – yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, so are they, uh, and I also obviously like that it's open source. The code's up on GitHub, and it's full end-to-end encryption, they say. That all seems like things that push my buttons. The And the desktop app – Looks a lot like Slack or uh, Mattermost or Rocket Chat. It's inline images, which I, which I don't like. I mean, I like the inline images, but I, I, if you ever see a screen cap on my desktop, my Telegram window is shrunk down to like it's Narrow. tall and, and yeah, skinny, that's what I do the too. same way like MSN Messenger used to be. And so when you, it, you know, the chat takes up the whole thing. Tall and, and skinny is exactly how I do it too. And I, yep. I, I barely have the contacts list showing. I barely have the contacts list. I showing. don't have it showing at all. How do you know it's when you totally have new messages? You just have a... It's sitting on the contact list. When I get a message, I go into the message, ah, I respond, then I, I mean, hit escape, and it goes back to the contact. I might switch to that mode. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's so this is, this is very nice. Just like Signal is also a very good application. But mm-hmm. there is, just like Skype, there is such a huge advantage to so many people having Telegram. And, um, you know, I, I went through the process of getting everybody at JB and the whole team to use Viber. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought for sure nobody would switch to Telegram when I wanted everyone. When I, I remember when Telegram came along, I'm like, oh, this is so much better. Let's switch to Telegram. And because Telegram was genuinely a better product and had cool features, I think it sold exactly. itself. Um, the the issue, desktop app on Telegram is what sold me over Viber. You know, maybe our conversation this morning I would like to have over an application like this. That was the only time where I was like, boy, if anybody was actually reading this Telegram thread right now, they'd think we're a bunch of anarchists. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I was thinking, well, I kind of wish this wasn't on Telegram at the moment. Uh, but that's the only time I've really, otherwise, like, I don't put anything in Telegram. It's like, I, I don't know. Of course, I'm kind of an exhibitionist. I, I mean, again, I go by a hard, fast rule. If it's actually private to me, it doesn't go anything on the Internet, encrypted or otherwise, mm. uh, uh, or unsecure. I just I wouldn't do it. But it, the, the, it, it's, it's a nice feature to have. And the thing is, if this does everything that Telegram does, except we have more options available to us, I'll tell you what. I would have really liked to have been able to just use the same when we were imagine the other night. Yeah, man. It was like I was like 11 at night for me or 1130 at night. And Chris and I were talking about something and he's like, you know, this would just be easier to bang out over a video call. Can, we, can I just call you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so mm-hmm. then we kind of figured that out. Wouldn't it have been nice just to click on an icon? Now we're connected. Here we go. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. not have to switch to a different app with a different account required. OK, but this is OK. So this is the spotlight. This to me is really exciting. I love the okay. spotlight. This is cool. Oof. Okay, now before you do, when you first saw the name of the spotlight, did you giggle? I uh, will, yeah, yeah. Did you giggle? Of course, All I'm, right, I'm a child room. inside. Uh, yeah. All right, chat room. We're going to talk about Easy Stroke. Yeah, that's again just to make sure. Yes, you did. You did hear that correctly. It's just stroke it a little bit. It's Easy Stroke. It's easy. It's an easy way to stroke. And so what Easy Stroke is, is a, a mouse gesturing application that you can, you basically, you memorize a mouse gesture on your computer, and then that gesture can do things. It can open a, a specific application, or it can execute a specific key combination, or just a specific key. And you know you know how I found this app? This is actually kind of funny. For years, everyone get, has given the Ubuntu software store a bad rap. It's just, oh, it's just hard to discover software. It's hard to discover software. It's hard to discover software. The last couple times that I have been like, I need, I'm going to need to find an app pick this week, and I don't quite know where to look. I go into the app store and I just start screwing around with a couple different apps and the ones that come up as suggested and stuff. And I've just installed them. And every once in a while, I find something like this. That's like, I am, I'm keeping this. That's like the so only I, reason I really like app stores is sometimes they do help me find stuff I never knew about. That's like it. That's the thing they do for me. Like, I think I, what I'm using. 
uh, what I'm using this for is I have a mouse gesture that bring that it's it's uh, it it un, unminimizes a, a specific oh, cool. application. So I have, so, yeah, so I can bring up Telegram, for example. Uh, in my case, it's it's my uh, my ticketing software, and I just I do a mouse gesture, and now my ticketing software is up, hmm. and I can enter or modify the ticket or whatever, and then go back to whatever I was doing. Are but you, that's the one application I'm jumping in and out of the most. Are you are you holding down a modifier key? Uh, so like, are you using like the super key in combination with the gesture, or are you just straight up gesture? What are you doing? Uh, straight up gesture, but you can memorize whatever you want. You what, when you click the record. My understanding is, and I haven't tried like a bunch of different things. My understanding is, you can record whatever gesture you want or whatever yeah. key combination plus gesture you want, and then it will remember that. They have some examples on their GitHub about like using it to switch tabs in Firefox and other things like that, mm-hmm. and sending different commands to your browser, uh, executing shells. This is super cool, dude. I think this is this is a great <laughs> idea. And like, screw getting rid of the mouse. Embrace the mouse. And ironically, you know, it sounds like the, de- the developer started this project to make uh, tablet life better, and now it's morphed into this. I, I, I'm of one of two minds. Either let me use the keyboard for everything or let me use the mouse for everything. My absolute my the, the worst thing is something like Google Docs, where if I'm using the mouse, I can't copy and paste. But if I'm using the, you know, the keyboard, I, it's, it's difficult to scroll back and forth and, and, and get from one place to the other, or select text or something. It, it, there, there's no there's no concept of let's pick one or the other and then stick with it. And so, yeah, I think it's great if I can get to the point where my hand's always on the mouse anyway. We just start using that to switch back. And yeah, forth I, I could I could see that being really useful, like on I, on the mixer machine, but also just on on my main presenter machine. Cool. Yeah. That is really cool. You know, I want to talk about, just before we go, I wanted to give a shout-out to an old project that's gotten a little bit of life recently. Speaking of spooky zombies, our OpenYourMouth.Recipes website is actually still a thing. And I think maybe with the holidays coming up and all that kind of BS, we'll start talking about it more. It's just it's just a free, fun place where everybody's – well, not everybody. Uh, 53 people have gone to contribute 217 different types of recipes or updates. They're all formatted in a markdown and submitted to GitHub, and anybody can contribute. Some of them go back for a couple of years now. There's vegan recipes, slow cooking, barbecue, pizza, pasta, hot dishes, on the grill, different types of eggs, what to do with butter, breakfast. This is just just straight up open source recipes from the Jupiter Broadcasting community. Open your mouth dot recipes if you want to contribute yours. Or if you want to just look at some of the ones the community's done, I was thinking we might feature some of these in upcoming user error or try some of them out and report back or something. We'll have fun with them in a future user error episode. So I wanted to give a shout out to openyourmouth.recipes, mostly because I just renewed the domain uh, yesterday. And I thought, well, people are actually still contributing. So let's give it a shout out. And I don't know if we've ever really mentioned it on the Linux Action Show. So it's kind of a neat, kind of a neat resource. And I think one of the reasons we launched it was, hey, do you want to practice your GitHub skills? And, hey, do you want to practice your markdown? And then some people say, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. And other people are like, no, I want recipes. So it's been kind of fun. Openyourmouth.recipes. Okay, Noah, let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Why don't you go to last.ting.com to support the show and get yourself $25 off your first Ting device or $25 in service credit. Ting is mobile that makes sense. They're really on a mission to try to change the mobile industry, and they're doing it by letting you vote with your wallet for no contracts, no early termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. Minutes, messages, and megabytes, and $6 for the line. You want five phones? It's really straightforward. It's not like 30 bucks a phone. It's 6 bucks a phone. And when you need customer service, you get a 
talk to a real human being. And I'm telling you, these people are good at their jobs because Ting hires the geeks. Now Ting also has GSM and CDMA services, so you can pick what's best in your area. And there's even more phones that you can bring, so check those out. Uh, especially like the ones I love to buy just from the Play Store. And they have a great dashboard to manage all of this with great apps to back up that customer service. Six frickin' bucks a month. It's no doubt that I've been a Ting customer now for, jeez, jeez, jeez. I mean, in January, I, I don't know, is it three years, Noah? Is that what it is in three years? It was uh, 13, so. It was 2013? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't, I don't, no, no, 2000. Yeah, 2013. Well, it was before that, though, because because I was 2013, April 2013 was the Linux Fest Northwest where Ting saved the day, and it was before that, so probably closer to four years. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. That's a good story, actually. Well, we should tell that story in the future. Um, But just go over to the Ting site and sign up with our last promo code. You get a good credit and you support the show. And if you're not sure yet, you can still support the show by visiting Ting, clicking on their savings calculator, just giving like a, give, give a litmus test. And maybe check out their blog while you're there, too. I think this is kind of neat. I would love to have one of these in my place. They put up a, a DIY tip. It's like a minute-long video on how to install a AC power outlet in your home with USB ports in it to charge your devices. So no more power bricks. Just get, I hate power bricks, too. And in my place, sometimes the power bricks squeal a little bit, which is awful. This would be so much nicer uh, just to have it right in the wall. And it's a one-minute video, and you can find that on the Ting blog. they got a bunch of other great stuff, too. You can bring a device or buy a device outright from Ting, unlocked and ready to go, or bring it from the Play Store and have the ultimate monthly update service where your carrier never gets in the way. Start by going to last.ting.com. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So I want to cover a couple follow-up stories from last week that are pretty important, both Dirty Cow and... Uh, Cody stuff, which is from a couple of weeks ago. But let's start with the Dirty Cow stuff. This is just a quick one. Dustin Kirkland uh, tweeted and uh, out a blog post that I caught that's a pretty neat follow-up to the live patch service we interviewed him about last week. Remember we talked about Dirty Cow, the vulnerability in the Linux kernel. It turns out that uh, this is just neat and just sort of a nice coincidence. that The vulnerability was published just like right around when the live patch service went live. Mm-hmm. So they had a really good real-world deployment of one of their first major patches and users on Ubuntu 16.04 who signed up for the live patch service within hours of canonical having a fix had the fix in their running kernel. It's pretty neat. That's like an immediate immediate turnaround for Ubuntu mm-hmm. 16.04 systems to be... Uh, I mean, people could have, you know, you could have been on top of it, updated your package manager cache, downloaded your new packages and installed them and rebooted your system. Mm-hmm. Absolutely anybody could have done that and you could have done it on any version of Linux or any distro. But this is particularly cool that we just, in the context of one of the most hotly discussed Linux vulnerabilities, and one of the neater services we've seen from Canonical, I I have no idea if Red Hat or SUSE's live patch service has fixed Dirty Cow. I, it would seem reasonable to me. It would seem like a likely thing that has happened. But we have, as a community, we have no visibility, and we have no access to this technology, either financially or just through the source code. Like, it's, it's not something I can set up and do, where this... Lots of people run LTS Ubuntu, and lots of people can have a free account, and lots of people can have their systems patched. 
And because it's at that level of access to the community, we get more insights about what's happening with it. So it seems like a more useful tool even from that perspective, too. So I really think they have a win here with this. Not only do we have some real-world results where they just live-patch Dirty Cow, but we get this great perspective on how this service works, which makes it easier down the road if I, if I figure out if I want to put my devices on it or not. I think it's a real nice win here that Canonical has. It, well, and the other thing is it's kind, of, it's kind of a nice foray into this, right? Like they announce the service and all of a sudden immediately have a large range of users that are instantly in need of this service. Yeah. And so, you, like you said, you get a chance to knock on it and see see how it works. And then later you can trust it for more critical things. Yep, exactly. So. Um, it's, you know, not always going to work. It's not always going to be the, 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 the silver bullet that's going to slay your demon, but it sometimes will be a very useful tool for systems you don't want to take offline. So let's do a little more follow-up. We had, uh, I don't know, three, four weeks ago discuss the, Ki- the Cody pirate boxes. You remember that, Noah? Let me think here. Um, hmm. Now it doesn't ring yeah, about Yeah, yeah, no, no yes, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, because it's free. That's why. Yes, I yes, recall that. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, new legislation <laughs> that was designed to tackle pirate Cody boxes and the sellers specifically has been rejected. What? What? This seems like it could be a really, really good thing, right? Because uh, we don't want to see uh, the government cracking down on, on Cody boxes. Copyright holders everywhere are worried about these Cody boxes, according to the UK. Remember, this is a thing that they've, they've been discussing in their, uh, like they have a trading standards office that's worried about this. They have like several offices. Uh, they also have uh, a new digital. On this. They have, yeah, they have a new digital economy bill that they've been formulating for a while. And they want to tweak good. all this in there. And they're specifically concerned about Android IP TV boxes. And they wanted to update some legislation, and it turns out that it got declined simply because the government believes that they already have all the authority that they need in this case. Um, And they explained that by the very fact that they've already arrested somebody and are prosecuting them right now for selling pirate Cody boxes. Um, I agree. And what's funny is in this process, people in parliament are even recommending that people get Cody boxes. Like it's a thing even in parliament they're talking about. Uh, This all in this article. But they say essentially the Fraud Act of 2006 and Serious Crime Act of 2015, those two things come together, give them the strong legal framework in which they have the authority to go after pirate Cody sellers. The strong legal framework. I, you, but, you know, that honestly, that's a very rational, reasonable, uh, articulate argument is that pirating is already illegal. We don't need to pass a new law to, re- to make pirating illegal because of the way, the specific way they do it. I agree. There is no, no new legislation. And the, the problem with, and we really, this is a win if you ask me, because the problem with any new legislation is you start to focus in on and tighten down a, 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 you know, a specific box or a specific project, and then that par- project gets a, a black mark on it. So now it's just if you're using Cody to pirate media, that's illegal, just like if you're using well, transmission. And they're specifically media. going after sellers right now. Uh, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's a win. It just freaks me out that they already have the authority to go after people for selling things. I, it's, it's weird to me. I mean, I mean, I can't. Re- it's 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 difficult for me to get too upset if somebody is selling a a box online yeah. that is with the express intent to pirate something. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I, you know what though? Big picture, seriously. Uh, I got a couple of comments. I saw some comments on this news story. Uh, in the in the subreddit, people there's a couple of people that said I didn't even really ever consider using Cody or I hadn't heard about Cody. A couple of different versions of it mm-hmm. until these stories, and now I've got one installed. No PR is bad PR. Yeah, and it could be true. Yeah. So this is I know Watch you're the show. We do a review for crying out loud. You I know. Guys. Yeah, uh, covered a few times. This is a story I'm personally very excited about, but I'm not so sure you're going to get fired up about this one. And it's D Trace for Linux. 
kind of. Uh, this is a big, big systems tool that is a, that first burst on Solaris and then became available on FreeBSD. And it's one of the straws in that FreeBSD cap. And we've got something just like it now coming to Linux in kernel 4.9. It is drawing on existing tracing features that have been iterated on over the years. And what happened was, is there was an engineer who previously worked at... Um, Oh, I can't remember if it was Berkeley or Sun. He worked somewhere where he was using D-Trace all the time to do that troubleshooting of performance and get high, high-scaling uh, network applications. And he ended up switching jobs and moving to Netflix as an engineer. And Netflix uses a ton of Linux, despite what you might hear about their distrib- distribution box on the back end. They use a ton of Linux. And so he found himself all of a sudden immersed in a Linux server world without the D-Trace tool. So in 2014, when he joined the Netflix, Netflix cloud performance team, having spent years as a D-Trace expert, he thought it was crazy to switch to Linux at first, but he had some motivations, of course, seeking a better challenge and performance tuning the Netflix cloud, which is a microservices architecture and lots of distributed systems, and sometimes the job involves system tracing. In the past, we'd use D-Trace. Without D-Trace on Linux, he began using what was built in the Linux kernel, F-Trace and Perf Events, and from there made a toolkit of different tracing tools called Perf Tools, which you may have heard of before. They've been invaluable, but he couldn't do some tasks, particularly latency histograms and stack trace counting. Yeah, how did, how did, how did, how did he get by without those? I know, and he needed it also all to be pro- programmatic. Long story short, him and a bunch of other groups over the last two years, or a bunch of other gentlemen over the last two years, began poking at this thing. Using like Netflix, using like time paid by Netflix, which I guess he even tracked and documented with the company. Um, and uh, then when they got it to a serious place called BPF tracking or something like tracing. And then once they got it to the serious place, Netflix allowed them to start spending more time on it. And they've got this thing to a really, really flushed out, super um, competitive compared to DTrace level. I don't know if it's completely there yet, but it is very close, and it'll be shipping in kernel 4.9. Now, think of the, think of the uh, advantage to be able to trace anything that happens in the system with very, very, very minimal overhead. Typically, when you monitor the system, you place a mount of – you alter the, and skew the results because the act of monitoring puts some load on that. You've noticed this even with simple things like top or, or GNOME system monitor. The act of monitoring the system actually puts some load on the system, right? Yeah. This – fixes that. It's not perfect, but it reduces that load. So when you can you can run performance traces on disk I.O. and network I.O. and from the beginning of a process to everything it does and everything it touches on that system with very, very minimal impact on the system performance. And then you can generate great data from that. But on top of all of that, they've made it programmatic. So you can program to it and have exact repeatable tests happen, which if you're thinking about, you know, you're trying to build the Netflix Netflix cloud and stream so much content to all these people all over the world, this kind of tuning is super critical. So I think this is huge for Linux because it was a massive advantage to FreeBSD. And one of the reasons Netflix was deploying lots of FreeBSD, more and more so. And now to have this in kernel 4.9, thanks to the hard work of these guys, is pretty exciting. Now, I'll have to leave it to the actual uh, people out there that are using this stuff to tell me how competitive mm-hmm. it is. But it looks really, really good. And if yeah. you are at all curious in this stuff, I have another link in the show notes. I just want to say that I really have positive things to say about developers who have the tools that they like. 
That's that's good input there. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Like you called it. Like there, there just there's some things that I'm super excited about, and then there's other like really deep okay. in deck. Now. I'm sure there's people that use this stuff. I'm sure it's very very cool and very very important. I'm sure there's there's a, probably a large section of the audience much smarter than me that's yeah. like that's the coolest thing ever, and I'm glad yeah. it's out there. So I'm glad we can cover um, it. it. Just how about this one? You're a total monster who loves Firefox. True. You are just a, a maniac that. Yeah, doesn't switch to Chrome. Uh, I, I'm a normal, rational human being that likes companies that do good things rather than companies that infringe on your privacy and sell your data. Yep, mm-hmm. that would be an accurate description. Well, then you might be excited about a quantum leap for the web coming from Mozilla. Over the past year, our top priority at Firefox has been electrolysis, which you know is the process to deliver multi-process browsing to their end users. Firefox mm-hmm. has been working on this for a long time. It's the largest change they've ever made to the Firefox code base, and they're going to roll. That's their words, not mine. They're going to roll out electrolysis to a 100% of Firefox desktop users over the next few months. So it's coming big. And so they're shifting from electrolysis to Project Quantum. Quantum is their effort to develop Mozilla's next generation web engine and start delivering major improvements to the users by the end of 2017. Quantum is all about making extensive use of parallelism and fully exploiting modern hardware. Quantum has a number of components, including several adopted from the Servo project, the resulting engine will power fast and smooth user experiences on both mobile and desktop operating systems, creating a quantum leap in performance. Ah, you see what they did there. That's very clever. Pages will load faster. Scrolling will be silky smooth. Animations, interactive app, web apps will respond instantly and be able to handle more immersive and intensive content. And the content, most important, you will automatically get the highest priority focusing processing power where you need it the most. A lot of this new backend stuff is going to be written in Rust, which... For people that uh, right, people love Rust that follow the show. They, they do, and it and it's great. It, it, except, as my, my understanding is, as it as it, as it stands right now, you need the entire Rust library yes. resources or whatever to do like one thing. And yeah. when everything gets there, it'll be really cool. But right now, it's just like this, like a lot of bloat that has to come in with it. Yeah, they say Project Quantum is about delivering next generation engine that will meet the demands of tomorrow's web by taking full advantage of all processing power in modern devices. Quantum starts from Gecko and replaces major engine components and will benefit the most from parallelization and offloading to the GUPU, also known as the GPU. Uh, one key part of our strategy is to incorporate groundbreaking components such as Servo, which I think is nice, and it's a community uh, web engine sponsored by Mozilla. They're re-engineering mm-hmm. f- uh, fund, uh, foundational building blocks, they say, like how they apply CSS styles, how they execute DOM operations, and even how the freaking graphics get rendered to your freaking screen. Fundamental changes are coming to Firefox in 2017. And as somebody who's been on Chrome for a while and really wouldn't mind switching back to Firefox, it just doesn't work for me, this kind of news excites the crap out of me. So I, I really like this. This came from the head of platform engineering at Mozilla. So it sounds like it'd probably be pretty legit. And that's just so, the highlights. So a couple things. One is um, it would have been nice if this evolution would have come earlier on because it seems like a lot of the things that Firefox is now getting around to implementing Chrome has kind of already been there. Secondly, uh, the other thing is I just want to point out Mozilla, most of the, my love for Thunderbird and Firefox is not necessarily, I mean, a lot of it's for the, for the products and I think it does a reasonable job. It gets the job done for me, but I think the real pull for me is the company behind Firefox. All of their meetings, if you didn't know this are open, anyone can attend all of the Firefox meetings. They have a, a live webinar kind of a thing. Yeah. You can't talk, but, but you, anyone can listen in. So there's no that such point, thing like Altera's pointing out in the chat room, they actually gave a half hour talk half an, an hour and a half talk i think about this about a month ago out in the open right yeah it's just, so so that kind of company are is the company that i want to be behind and then the the, yeah, the, as, long the as, last, as long as they make a useful browser i agree 
So, and so that brings me to my, th- my third point. My third point is you had said, you know, you want to get back and you want, you would like to be in Firefox and you've kind of been over in the Chrome world. And my, my prediction is even if they solve some of the performance issues and, and that becomes you know, better, I think we're still going to run into an issue with you specifically with all of your add-ons and extensions. <sighs> and I don't know that those are going to be solved just because. You know because- what, man? I got to tell you recently, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe you're right. I do have some very specific uh, add-ons I use to do the production of the amount of shows that I do to make it easier to do research and note right. things and all this. Some of it's not available on Firefox. However, uh, let's see, is that one good? That one might be good now. But like three out of five of my computers I have Chrome on have corrupt profiles right now. Uh, in the next segment, I have a I, I wasted a ton of time because of Chrome. I mean, there is I do have problems with Chrome these days. So brand new machine. Brand new machine sitting 10 feet away from me over there. And what I'm connecting to you on, I install Chrome. It works fine for the first day or second day or whatever. And at some point, I was I had a brain fart in the morning and I clicked block on the camera thing. And now oh, if I'm not in a private window, I can't – no matter what I do, yeah. I've gone through. I've deleted. I've gone through the, the whole nine yards. I, I, I'm probably just going to end up having to reinstall Chrome because the only way to get a video conference to work right now is by using a private window. It's, it's frustrating. Hmm. Yeah, that's that is frustrating. You know, this was a frustrating story. Firefox. This was a frustrating story that now kind of just got kind of like a a no fanfare, just kind of update, I guess. Lenovo Mm -hmm. has announced a Linux only BIOS update for the Yoga 900. The uh, the the model that a couple of weeks ago we talked about that came with the drives and that fancy Intel Mm -hmm. raid that made it impossible to run Mm -hmm. Linux. Lenovo Mm -hmm. has shipped a Linux BIOS only update as a Windows 10 executable. Ironically, so you have to install it from Windows 10, uh, but then you will be able to put Linux on that uh, that Yoga. Still doesn't as, doesn't do it for me. An, I know it should, as, but it doesn't do it for well, me. Well, here's the thing: as an update, and we I, we talked about this in LUP later that week. But like, what people were upset about was a specific. There were there were two models of the computer. They're both identical. It's just. They had a model, and then Microsoft said, we want to do these specific things, so could you make us a model for this? And Lenovo made that model for Microsoft, branded it. It was only sold in the Microsoft store. If you bought the identical model at Best Buy, you didn't have this problem. If you bought the exact same computer that Microsoft commissioned from the Microsoft store, that was the one that you had I guess to I, install Linux on. And I, I don't just, understand how that makes it – But how does that change the story at all? I mean, does it matter if they Lenovo if sold you, it from their website or they sold it from the Microsoft store? Does that matter? I mean, does because it's a difference between saying Lenovo made a computer and didn't allow people to install Linux on and Microsoft contracted Lenovo to build a computer for them to sell in their store exclusively and that and the changes that Microsoft requested them to make specifically for a Microsoft store you couldn't put Linux on. I don't know why but it just it seems like that's a I don't much know it less feels like a, that feels like an attempt to make Microsoft the bad guy. I still hold Lenovo responsible at the end of the day for shipping a product like this but more yeah. so I hold Intel responsible for not making that ACHI raid thingy whatever it was that they were using yeah. available for Linux. That's sure. some bullshit and Intel needs to get their game stepped up for Linux support. If I have sure. many middle fingers for them right now after the Skylake debacle and this at the end of the day yeah. Yeah, that's, was that's also a good point. Now maybe here's here's why I still put some responsibility on Lenovo is I, I just I genuinely believe they could have just made a BIOS toggle, and that would have solved so many problems if yeah. they just had a well, simple clearly, BIOS toggle. Clearly, they did. I mean, yeah. I mean, so that's why evidence. I, you're absolutely. Correct. That's why I, I, I'm not I'm not impressed. But I am actually very happy. And here's what I do hope for. And I think this is the I I hope this is the silver lining. Is I hope that this hassle and them having to build this uh, separate BIOS, um, I hope this is, encourages them never to do this again. 
I would prefer a vendor that just builds the entire product Linux first, but that's obviously in in the market reality that's not that's not going to happen. But uh, I I hope that maybe after this event, they don't really ever go through this again. They don't feel the, they don't ever feel compelled to make something like this again. They they at least consider this or consider this functionality mm-hmm. in the future. This seems like at least a little bit of a hard learned lesson having gone through this now and gotten sort of the uh, raking they got uh, from the community. But if you got one of those yogas. We have a link in the show notes. And if nothing else, at the end of the day, it's super good to see Lenovo at least step up and do this. It would have been nice if it never happened. But it's kind of great from it's kind of a great from just a, a landmarker standpoint for Linux community that this wouldn't have happened where a company they wouldn't have bothered. They just would have let this thing blow over and they wouldn't have bothered. They might not have done it in a future model, but they, they wouldn't have gone back and done this in the past. And I think because of the presence Linux now has, especially in the DevOps and sysadmin communities where users are uh, extremely picky and they're decision influencers in their local peer groups, I think it's absolutely de- – uh, things absolutely force Lenovo to respond on this kind of stuff. And that, my friends, is the good news for Linux. And that's all the news for this week. Have you ever wondered what would happen if a guy that's totally all in on rolling releases deployed a server for a home media installation that also did things like backup and downloads and BitTorrent sync and then stopped updating it for two years? Well, I had a zombie Arch server that I did set up, and after a power outage, things didn't go well. There was a big mismatch of dependencies, and it's a total mess. So I'll tell you about what happened and why I decided to replace it with Open Media Vault. But I want to thank Linux Academy for making this segment possible. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugs where you go. You support the show and you can sign up for a seven day free trial. This is a great platform to learn more about all the nitty gritty little little tiny things about Linux, but also like big picture stuff, like the big higher level stuff, the abstracted stuff that always feels like it's too heady to understand. Linux Academy helps you put it within a context. Within hours, you can actually grok within a downloadable comprehensive study guide that you can read on your own with instructor mentoring and learning paths and labs and exercises that put your hand on. It's really unique. Linux isn't a a feature of Linux Academy. It is Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, try it out. They also have new public profiles where you can brag about your accomplishments and also show employers what you've done. They have great cloud credentials where you can go in there. They call this the cloud credentials. It's a system where it evaluates you while you perform tasks on a server. I used, I think I used to call, I can't remember what I used to call that, but I like cloud credentials because it shows that you actually have the cred to do those things on a live production system. And I like that immediate feedback because it helps me practice for the exams. In fact, they've also got things that help you just deep Deep dive on that if you're going to go get a cert and want to study down hard. And with iOS and Android apps, you can take it on the go. And with their course scheduler, when you're busy, they make it easy to schedule around that and still meet your learning goals. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there and support the show. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Okay, I take you to the past from uh, just a couple of days ago when I got a frantic call from Angela that a power outage had occurred and our home server was no longer booting. Well, it turns out it booted, but it wouldn't go any further than that. I'm going over to Angela's house because after about a year of neglect, her Arch server has finally died. And I'm bringing over a NUC running Open Media Vault 3. I'm going to try to do a swap, get Plex, a couple of Usenet services up and running, which is going to mean finding logins and all of that kind of stuff, and see if I can't replace 
her existing Arch home-built custom server with this Open Media Vault NUC in a couple of hours. I'm just kind of thinking as I drive over to Angela's house about how I would have done this differently if I if I could have. If I could have planned this, I would have moved a lot of data off of her server that she doesn't really need. Stuff that Plex is gonna have to rescan and index. And I'll, there's a lot of little programs on there that could be moved off, like some BitTorrent sync stuff. So I think because I'm at a state right now where her, her home server isn't booting, which means her DNS isn't working, her Plex isn't working, automated downloads and backups aren't working, so it's, it's gotten past the point where I can do it the way I want to do it, and I just have to get it replaced. I'm going to try to do a one-to-one -one swap. I'm trying to run through some of the things that I'm going to need to know. I'm going to need to know the logins for Usenet and the off-site backup. I'm going to need to know what the NFS exports are on the storage array that I'm going to be connecting the Open Media Vault installation to, because the back-end storage is going to be over NFS. And I'm going to need to do that over FS tab, so that way it shows up as an actual volume, I think. i got to figure that out, so that way the... Open Media Vault services see the NFS data, which means I hope I remember what the root password was for this Open Media installation. It's been a few weeks. This is all really crammed together. I'm not sure I'm actually going to pull this off. Hello. Okay, so I guess the last time this was updated was 3.19.2, so you can do the math on how old this install is. And when I hit enter here, it goes so fast you can't see it, but there's a lib ncurses error that comes up. Half the system needs lib ncurses 5, the other half needs lib, lib ncurses 6, and I think 6 is installed right now, and so I can't get a shell. So we can't get logged in. It looks like Dev SDA wasn't unmounted cleanly. It's doing a check disk right now. SDA1 checks out okay, and I've got a local IP address on the LAN so I can pull it up in the web browser. First step's done. Can't get on the wireless network, and the only wireless network I can get on doesn't seem to be able to talk to the Open Media Vault server. Don't tell Noah, but it's working fine in Firefox. I can't get it to open up the page in Chrome, but I've got the Open Media Vault login screen now under Firefox. That's embarrassing. Let's go ahead and install all the updates this time, shall we? I think that uh, that would be good. You gonna use the screwdriver on your knee? Uh-huh. Yeah. I didn't need it anyways. Updates are done. I think maybe my next step is to create a user account for her and then Figure out the NFS stuff. If you know your file server's name, but you don't know the past here, NFS mounts, a quick command, show mount dash E, and then the name of the file server will list all of the exports that you can connect to. And I can see mine, there's only one, so that's obviously the one to pick, slash volume one, slash fart. I did a quick FS tab update. I put my NFS mount in there, and now I've already checked it. I was able to mount slash MNT slash NFS and I'm connected to the storage. So now it should be a matter of configuring applications to look at this. Right? Isn't that right, Bella? Yeah. Doing a quick reboot here and uh, just to make sure that the thing mounts at boot okay. And once again, I'm getting a check disk type thing here. What's it, what's it saying here? 
A start job is running for dev dash disk dash slash buy. I don't even know what that is. I gotta I gotta look into this after this thing boots up. I don't think it's critical because it's happened every time. And so far it's it's been fine. Okay, good news. What? The NFS mount was there after boot up. We have access to the file shares. It's now just a matter of programming. So is the TV fixed? Not yet, but we're a lot closer. So could we still have a party? Well, we're getting a lot closer. Candy reward if Daddy gets this working. I already have OMV extras installed, so now it should just be a matter of enabling the Plex plugin. When I do this, it'll do some basic configuration. It pulls down the packages and sets up the Plex server. We officially have Plex. I've got the uh, welcome setup screen going, just adding libraries, and then the scan will start. If I was going to do the server move the way I could have planned it, I would have backed up our Plex database first. But we got the Plex server set up, and we have all the libraries on there, and it's doing the scan thing. They're all going to show up as new, <laughs> but at least we'll be able to stream to the televisions again. Oh yeah, that's Plex running on the Roku, streaming from Open Media Vault. Success! Digging up the uh, Usenet login information. It, am I reading that right? 36 terabytes of transfer? Whoa. Okay, that took longer than I thought it would. I Even after all these years, I still failed to factor in the kid disruption. Things went pretty good. Plex was the number one goal. I got that up and going. I got the file shares live. Uh, and I got, uh, I got NZB Git set up. Oh, hi there. But, um, Couch Potato and Sab NZB, which I also tried that, and, um, Sickbeard, none of them would start up. They all have air lights, so I'm not really sure. I think I'm going to have to do some Googling. But if she gets herself an NZB file, she can upload it to NZB Git's web interface and get files temporarily. So it's just the automated stuff that's not working. So I'll have to... I'll have to Google that and see if there's anything specific with Open Media Vault and, and setting up those programs. The other kind of like just thing that I just gotta say is, I still feel like it's way too hard to work with NFS shares under Open Media Vault. None of the web UI can see the fact that I have 12 terabytes of disk mounted over NFS. Um, so I'm, I feel like I'm constantly running up against that with Open Media Vault. However, you know, all in all, see, I, I got there. Two and a half hours, three three hours ago. Yeah, yeah, about almost three hours now. Uh, and we got the basic functionality up and running. And now it's on a system that she can update, she can maintain, she can use the admin interface. So I think just other than a small few little things like Couch Potato and um, Sickbeard, I'm gonna say a success for Open Media Vault 3. I'm getting real-time follow-up from the chat room right now. They tell me that there is an update coming with uh, an update for the Arch, like a or an update to Open Media Vault. There's an update coming to Open Media Vault three for the NFS mounts that I was trying to get working. I guess it's going to be there's going to be a GUI oh. for it. So that's good. Nice. Yeah, that that that'll be really nice. Maybe when that just comes, I'll just be able to go and. But I, again, I, I you know it's it's almost good that it didn't because it underscores the point, and that is that when you want to. You can open the hood of your car and change the oil. Yeah. And that's a distinct advantage that Open Media Vault has over yeah. its competitors. That was the kind of the thing that made me go with Open Media Vault is I had that confidence of, well, I'll just drop down to the Debian terminal and do whatever I can't exactly. figure out in the GUI. 
Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just wanted something maintainable and manageable for her that uh, is going to work well. And I think it's in a workable state right now with just a few extra things needed. But the core functionality has been resolved. So that was, that was really cool. And it was nice to be able to, to theorize it and, and drop it in there and have it mostly work with just a few, just a few hiccups. But I'm sure a lot sure. of you out there have been in that position, too, where it's like, I had this grand plan, but then I just had to replace the yeah. damn thing and I had to scramble. Yeah. <laughs> it, got it, it got it done. And I, I'm pretty happy with Open Media Vault. You know, Welcome we, to my weekly life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I tried it you know, here in, in testing in the studio for about a month. Um, and then to put it in production... I think it, you know, I, I don't know. I've only tried it with a couple of a couple of tasks, but performance was great. Updates are super easy. The UI is nice. I just have nothing but mostly positive things to say. So, and it sounds like my NFS issues may re- be resolved quickly. Oh, oh, and I did figure out what that mount was that kept uh, uh, kept ge- generating errors at boot. Mm-hmm. I forgot to say in the video, but it it was the previous test volume that I had attached. That wasn't properly removed before I took the oh. knuck out of the studio, and so I had to go. I had to go delete that as a volume and all that stuff because the system was looking for a mount point that no longer existed or something. Sure. So, duh. I can't believe I did that, but I figured I was in a rush. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? So I will say this, uh, and I was just talking to the beard before the show, and I think the benchmark for me from now on when it comes to Arch on a server is if mm-hmm. it's a box, I can update about every two weeks. I'm pretty comfortable using that in a production environment, be it server or otherwise. A perfect prime example is the machine I'm sitting in right here in front of, Arch Rolling, and the machine that's, re- that's broadcasting this and making this all possible is our OBS system, which just got updated to the latest and greatest Arch updates as of Friday or something. A couple of issues maybe we'll get the beard to talk about on user error in a future episode, but for the most part, we've... The systems I, I, I maintain and spend a lot of time on have been great mm-hmm. running Arch. The systems that I neglect, and I, you know, in full disclosure, I expected to be updating that thing almost on a daily basis. I didn't expect to move sure. out and all that. So it sort of was inevitable, and it's lesson yeah. learned. And now I'm going to go with something that should be supported for years. It's yeah. kind of a, it's kind it, of a good lesson. It's, just, it's kind of funny, though, that you're like, oh, we updated this Arch box, and then all of a sudden I get here on Sunday nothing works. I, can't, I just can't figure out what, what went wrong. Something went wrong. Something something changed in here. Out I don't of know everything what. in this studio, that's the one box that didn't have <laughs> that any gives issues. You the least problem. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. So I'm not saying Arch is no good. I'm just saying there are definitely situations that I'm not going to go rolling in all the time anymore. And by the way, let, see let me, Ubuntu 16.10 review and 16.04 reviews. Yeah, no kidding. Let me ask you a question. Uh, on, on your... Uh, as of ta- or as a play on your idea of how to uh, deploy Arch. Michael Tunnell, one of our producers, he has a very unique way of rolling out Arch to his family and friends. And what he does is he shuts all of the repos off, points them to a repo that he hosts on DigitalOcean, and then he manually tests and decides what updates he wants to, that are going to work for him and then pushes those out to his own little repo and then all of his family and friends that are pointed to that repo huh. just get their updates. I've thought about that. Uh, so he's basically running his own Manjaro. Uh, he's rolling his own Manjaro kind of, in a sense. Yeah, exactly, yeah. kind of. I've thought about doing that. Um, and I know that anybody that uses systems in large-scale production like that probably does. Like I think Wes uh, does some local repo stuff. I'd have to ask him when I'm plugged. But, uh, mm-hmm. And I, I know that uh, DigitalOcean... When you update a lot of their instances, they'll update from a server that's on the local LAN. Um, and, right. of course, apt makes this crazy easy to do with apt proxy as well. So I know a lot of people do this. I don't know if I have the time and energy to actually maintain my own repo of packages. I should pick sure. his brain and ask him how he publishes and approves apps to the repo. If there's a way I could have a master computer and the, the remote repo would match my master computer. and when, I when think I, 
I think that's kind of what it is. Oh, okay. is, 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 is when he gets everything working, everything works. He goes, okay, this is approved. And then that one is cloned. Now if there, everyone yeah, else. If there's a way I could roll that into my daily workflow, I'm going to talk. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could pick his brain about it on Linux Unplugged because I'd, I'd really yeah. like to know more. Um, yeah. But yeah, lesson learned here and uh, none for the worse. I think overall it's going to be better for her for a long-term solution. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. That's the Linux action shows. Look, it's slaying an arc zombie with an open media vault axe. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we go, we want to cover some emails, some feedback, actually, even a tweet. It's a historic moment on the Linux Action Show. Not really. But first, I want to thank System76 over at System76.com who make killer systems that support more than 16 gigs of RAM, have tons of great processors in them, (laughs) and GTX 10 series graphics cards. They also have desktops and servers. These laptops. Also, Chris, Chris, from the System76 Telegram channel, their engineers have confirmed they are not removing the escape key. Oh, good, good, good. The escape key will remain on System76 computers. That's that's wonderful. You know, uh, Mike's a man after your own heart. Michael Dominic from Coda Radio, he Mm -hmm. got the Lemur 14. Oh, I'm sorry. The Lemur. The Lemur. He got the Lemur 14 uh, uh, right there, which I know is kind of in your sweet spot. And he's been tweeting out some pictures. He got it with the matte screen so he can use it outside. I tell you what, though, I keep hearing from people that are getting the Oryx Pro. That is such a killer machine. And now with the GTX 10 series cards, dude. Adrum is talking about it, like, right now in the chat room. Yeah. As you're talking about it, Adrum is having a conversation dude, about the Oryx Pro dude, in the chat room. Dude, Everyone wants the Oryx Pro. What? A lot of people are. In fact, uh, System76 experienced unprecedented traffic after the Apple event. Uh, because people are like, that's it, man. They just, you know, people are creating applications that run on Linux servers up in the cloud and they're writing web apps. Mm-hmm. They don't need a $2,800 MacBook Pro that doesn't have an escape key. When you can go get a custom built System76 designed to run Linux that works great and, by the way, gets updated more than every 17 years or whatever it is these days for Apple. System76.com. 16 gigs of RAM. I love it. Go there and tell them Noah switched you to Linux, please, and there might just be a little surprise for you. Tell them Noah switched you to Linux when you check out. All right, so let's cover emails. The first one comes in from Donut, and he has a question about JB SuperKeys. And I've heard you talk about the SuperKey stickers uh, in a recent show. Hold on, I'm grabbing them. Uh, I'd like to get some. Where do I get them? And I got, uh, I got some here, and I got those are black and white, and then I got colored ones right here, which probably don't look that good on camera. See, but Chris, Chris, I, I, maybe it's typo, maybe or something. He, mm-hmm. he didn't ask where you could get uh-huh, them. He uh-huh. wants to know where he could get them. Oh, I see. Well, you'll hear more. We'll uh, we'll probably do an announcement soon. We're just <laughs> getting all that sorted out. Yeah, I, I'm actually really excited about it, and I think. I think you'll you'll probably like what we come up with about how you're going to get them. So there you go. There's that. All right. The you sh- want the short to- answer is for the time being, no stickers for you, unless you make it here to the JB Studio. Oh, that, that, that's good. That's good incentive. <laughs> uh, Andrew L writes in with a, and he has some feedback about your favorite thing, the CRM review. Sermo. <laughs> this was a great segment. I would like to see more business solution type segments on last or maybe even a more business centric show for Noah as a person that works primarily in a Windows environment. Boo. I would like to see an open source solutions that are uh, that are business ready so that I can pitch them at work. The only way we will go from a Microsoft shop to a Linux shop is by finding open source applications that can meet all of the needs of business. That's we are looking fair. to replace our current CRM next year and we will be setting up a Zermo server for people to try. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I yeah. know that is definitely that is definitely you know I mean I did a firewall episode like nine years ago that Rikai thinks is the worst episode of Linux Action Show we've ever done 
And I, oh, really? I still occasionally get emails from people who said it was one of their most favorite shows. So it's, you know, it really depends. It, it really kind of depends on what people are in the zone for. I saw some YouTube comments where someone was like, holy crap, I was just researching CRMs. This is so timely. It's crazy. It, we, every now sure. and then it does happen. Um, I don't think from an aggregate standpoint it makes a huge impact, but I, I actually like the <laughs> idea. Even at the end of the day, if nothing else, even if you – here's how I looked at it. Even if I never am going to deploy a CRM, which you almost kind of made me want to, but even if I'm never going to, I like to know how Linux can solve problems in the real world for sure. people in ways that sure. add value. And so that's – it sort of allows me to live through someone else's Linux experience for a little while, and mm-hmm. I found that to be interesting about it. Um, mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So maybe we'll do some more. If anybody has some suggestions, let us know. I mean – Noah is so uh, uh, heads down on this kind of stuff, he probably doesn't even think of all the different ways that he could actually do segments out of no, this. I don't, no, I don't. It, how long did it take us to do, uh, to, to do an episode on, uh, on, the, on all the DMX lighting and stuff? And yeah. I mean, that, that stuff, I use that every other week. And, <laughs> I mean, I was on the show for a good year before we, before we even talked about it. Yeah, like well, I'm surrounded by all these Linux computers, and we have to do a show talk yeah, tomorrow. No. What could it be? Hey, on? man, it was just last week we finally got around to plugging Flux and Red Flux and yeah, Redshift. Yeah. So we got years of content still in us. I think that's what that. I think that's what that tells us. Well, but we remember all the stuff we're using. Not any more content for this week. That does bring us to the end of this week's show. You can find him. He's at Kernel Linux, and is it at Alta Speed if they want to follow the business there, Noah? At AltaSpeed, if you want to see cool pictures of all the places that we destroy and then rebuild. And uh, if you're curious about Mike's switch to Linux and his new laptop, I'm sure we'll hear more about it in this week's Coda Radio. Also, you can check out last week's Coda Radio, where we talk a little about that. If you want other Linux shows, we have Linux Unplugged on Tuesdays and User Air whenever the hell I manage to get it edited and published. But we have this RSS feed where you get it every single week. Those shows also cover more Linux. So if you're getting to the end of this and you want more Linux stuff, we have some great shows for you. And if you're a little BSD curious... We do have the meet, or we do have the uh, BSD Now show, and I will be at Meet BSD. So we have some BSD stuff coming up too that you can look into. And last but not least, if you want to get content into this show, LinuxActuallyShow.reddit.com. Join us live at JBLive.tv on Sundays. It's noon Pacific, but you can just get that converted to your local time at our calendar page, JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar. And Noah, how should people get emails into the show? Uh, they can go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click on the contact link, choose the Linux Action Show from the drop-down menu, and Magic Robots deliver your message to us that we will read here on air. Or not, your choice. Fueled by haters. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. This is when I went to, to work with Alex. That was a miserable day. What do you mean? I just I always had this impression that like pilots like they just they got in their airplane they sat down and then they flew sure and, you know sure. got done get sure. back off let yeah, the passenger sure. get off fly back yeah no it's not like that it's we get into the airplane and we fly and then we land and as soon as we land get off let's go we got ten minutes let's go we have to run like to the other end of the concourse I'm like Jesus what are we what? all right get in we gotta go uh, okay fine we get it feels in the like oh, it no. feels like that's a system that uh, is it's terrible is abusive. Yeah, and then and then like and then finally like halfway through the day, I'm like, uh, and he's like, all right, time for lunch. I'm like, oh good, finally we can take a break for lunch. So we start running through the airport, and we get to the place, and he's like, yeah, I'll take a hamburger and fries to go. And I'm like, to go? Why don't we sit down and eat? He's like, we don't have time. We have 15 minutes instead of 10. It's five minutes to get lunch. Let's go. And I'm like, Jesus, where are you going to eat? And he's like, in the cockpit. Let's go. I'm like, God, we can't Yikes, even take man. time for lunch. I know it was really bad. I have pictures of us running up and down the con. Oh, bad. So I'm sitting there at a place like this, having I am, and I'm 
I am jo- I'm, we're, we're chewing people up the, cha- the, the ladder, like two or three people up the, the chain of command, so that way we could not have to break down and reset up and break down our equipment between each night of a live event, because that just mm-hmm. takes, not only does it take an hour or two to do that, but it also, every time you do that, introduces a chance for buzz or cameras not to work, and so. Exactly. And the reason was stupid, and I knew that if we could just talk to the right person at a high enough level in the company, they'd totally okay with it. They'd be totally okay mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. But that was awkward because everybody's sitting at the table and I'm sitting there <laughs> chewing this person out. I thought it was great. It ma- I was I was super impressed. <laughs> uh, God, son of a gun! So I have uh, timing. God, I tell you what. Here's no. Here's what we should do. We should totally do this. We should have no, a okay, Google Glass user error episode. Here's where here. This is drunk Santa Claus was driving down the street and this guy got stuck in the snow, and straight up drunk Santa Claus showed up and got out of his truck and like had a rope and he like stumbles up to the car and i'm like this is amazing i know it was great it was so great and this, you're santa telling me that santa claus right there is drunk right now he was plastered like plastered totally plastered that's so stereotypical it was so great i absolutely loved it hey guess what turns out what when the rig isn't level right i can't cook bacon as well because all the grease like the grease slides yes. yeah man so i had that problem because the only thing i don't have a microwave in my in my rv right so i have to do everything in a pan you should get a toaster oven if you can fit it just a small one. i know i was gonna i took a picture of yours because i, I mm-hmm. was told that that was like a the like super good toaster oven one to have mm-hmm. <clears throat> from a toaster master master toaster from toastmaster master